Uh, so, hey, we're in Mark chapter 1, and we're going to start in, in verse 32. But So before we kind of dive in, I do want to kind of just preface, like, this, this message and what this message is about is something that is probably one of the hardest things for me to wrestle with, like, currently, right? Um, and I think that it's something that a lot of people wrestle with, a lot of people struggle with on a daily basis. I think if you were to, uh, if I was to go around the room, um, I think we would see that this is probably a common struggle for all people. And it's this, it's talking about busyness, being busy. So if there's one thing that I hear people talk about all the time, so they talk about how busy they are, right? We talk about this idea that, uh, you know, it's not unusual for me to ask somebody how they're doing or for you to ask somebody how you're doing or, hey, for you to ask me how I'm doing and you hear this response. You say, hey, I'm doing good. I'm just really busy, right? If you, if you have asked me how I'm doing, I will probably have answered that at least a dozen times, it feels like, right? So there's this idea of, hey, I'm good. I'm just busy. Just a few statistics for you is that according to Pew Research, a study that was done in 2019, okay, so this was before COVID, before everything, in 2019, uh, 60% of U.S. adults say that they, that um, said that they at least sometimes feel too busy to enjoy life, 60%. 74% of parents with kids under the age of 18 say that at least sometimes they too feel too busy to enjoy life. If you were to look at the statistics among teenagers, you would see that the, the level of anxiety that teenagers are, un, that are suffering with today is astronomical. Many of you in this room, right, struggle with anxiety and, and, and that anxiety leading to depression and depression leading to even darker things. And a lot of this, these feelings of anxiety come from how busy we are. And I don't know, maybe it's just like I'm more aware of it. I don't know. But like I'll say like I think that teenagers today are busier than I ever was when I was in high school. Right? Y'all are busy like crazy. And I think that some uh, I think some of the busyness is for there's a few reasons. I want I think one, some people try to keep busy because they don't want they're trying to stay out of trouble. So if I'm busy, then hey, I won't get into trouble. Other people is like, I'm busy because I'm trying to escape something, right? If, if, uh, if I have, you know, downtime, that's when I'm alone with my thoughts, and I don't like that. So I try to keep busy. I try to keep doing things. What we're seeing is that the busyness of life has massive impacts on all of us. So, right, many of, you in the, many of you in this room could probably relate to this. If you have a job and you are in high school, you pro- which, just out of curiosity, how many of you in this room have a job? Okay, which is which is pretty incredible to me. Now, how many of you did, how many of you go to public school and you have a job? Okay, so I'm not saying this. What the reason I'm saying that that to me because that's what I can relate to. Okay, like is public school right? You you wake up at like the butt crack of Jesus, right? And then like you get you go to school uh, and then you get home at what like maybe three. Uh, if, if you're lucky, 3, 3.30. Well, if you have extracurricular activities, forget about it. Um, but then you get home, and then you get changed. You go to work. You get home from work pretty late. You do homework. You go to bed. You wake up. You do it all over again. And what happens is we get so busy with different things. Here's the thing. Even if you don't have a job, we are all prone to filling the time with other things, right? 
And what happens is when we talk about this idea of church, when we talk about this idea of, man, doing things, serving, or do, being sold out for the kingdom of God or the purposes of God, man, you look, you hear me say this, right? You hear me talk about sharing the gospel. You hear me talking about, man, take serious amount of time and dedicate it to the things of, of God and, and reading your word, spending time in prayer and all these things. And you're like, Mike, that's awesome. Let me show you my schedule and you tell me where I can fit that, right? That's great. Easy for you to say, Right? But let me show you my schedule. Let me show you where there's no space for it. But here's what I've also noticed is a lot of the things that we're busy with are not necessarily bad things. They're good things that we're busy with. And whenever you ask someone how they're doing, it's pretty normal for you to get the reply, I'm good, I'm just busy. Like I said, I know that I have responded to this a lot. And the problem for many people is that they feel that their busyness is almost a badge of honor. It's a good thing to say that I'm busy. Because when I say I'm busy, I say I, I'm important. If I'm busy, that means I'm successful. If I'm busy, that means that, yo, I'm putting that work in, right? I'm, I'm, I'm out here doing, I'm out here making moves. I'm not just being lazy. And I want you to understand something, that there's a big difference between being a hard worker and being busy. There's a lot of lazy people that are busy. There's a lot of people that work hard that have time, <laughs> right? A lot of people find their worth in the fact that they're busy. And when their busyness dies down, they feel the need to fill it up again with other things. And the problem that we have is that we've become so busy that we're allowing the things that truly matter to suffer. A lot of us maybe are making money, but we're not doing anything with our time that actually matters. Maybe we're doing things that are great and they're fun, but the things that actually make a difference are falling to the wayside. I want you to understand something. That a lot of the things that you devote your time to right now you're, are not going to make a hill of beans in five years. No one's going to care. Right? Like, I, I was very busy in high school. All those things that I was busy with, no one cares. And, and I'm not saying this to discourage you, okay? I'm saying, hey, like, a lot of things that we're doing are good things. But when they allow the main things to suffer, then we have problems. Right? So many pastors neglect their families. You see this all the time, right? What is, it, what is it, like like some of the worst kids are pastor's kids? You know what I'm talking about? You've heard this? I have a child now. It means I have a pastor's kid, right? And she's perfect right now, right? Never done anything wrong. I, I say that jokingly. When she wakes me up at like 1 in the morning, I'm like, oh, you're perfect. Uh, right, but... But here's the thing, like, I know there's going to come a day, right? And, and me and Kayla were talking about this. We're like, all right, hey, like, there's, there's, a reality, there's a reason that this pastor's kid label is a thing, right? Why? Because so many pastors get so busy that they neglect their families. They neglect their wives. They neglect their kids. So many people don't have time to invest in their relationship with God because they have too much going on. Or when, they're, when they are free, they're so exhausted that they have, they, they're like, I, look, I have nothing left to give you. I have nothing left to give. 
If there's one person that was efficient with their time, it was Jesus. If, if you were to think about everything that we know about Jesus, really, the, whole, the entire history of the world changed because of the life and the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus' Jesus's ministry was shorter than your amount of time in high school. And the amount of time that you, that it will take, it will, and, and the amount of time that you have graduated high school, Jesus would have already changed the world. Now some people, oh, well, it's because he was God. And it's like, okay, yeah. But also what I think we can see is that Jesus was incredibly efficient with his time. He didn't waste time. He didn't waste moments. If you were Jesus and you know and you knew that at this point uh, you were going to be arrested and crucified for the sins of all mankind and you had this much time, how much time would you waste? If I was to ask you, if I was to tell you that next week you were going to die Thursday at 3 o'clock, you were going to stand face to face with God, how much time would you waste between now and next Thursday? I think that we would all say very little. But what's interesting about that is that we, we're not even guaranteed tomorrow. And we waste so much time. See, the Gospels show Jesus as being very busy. Right? Jesus is, is extremely busy in the Gospels. The Gospel of Mark in particular shows Jesus' ministry running at 1,000 miles an hour. We're only in chapter one, and we have just bang, bang, this happened, and this happened, and this happened. Jesus is constantly going, constantly striving, constantly doing things. But what we know is that Jesus never allowed his busyness to lead him into sin. Jesus never allowed busyness to get him off track. Jesus always fulfilled the will of his Father. The question that we have to ask is this, is how do we be busy with things that matter? Because I want you to know, it is good to be busy with things that matter. But it is not okay to be busy with things that don't matter. What we're going to see in the passage tonight, what we're going to see is that your life will be dominated by what you prioritize. Your life will be dominated by that which you prioritize. So we're going to see two things. We're going to see, one, we're going to see the busyness of Jesus. The busyness of Jesus. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 32. So just to give you a little bit of context, Jesus has been Jesus has been ministering, right? He started his ministry, and he is just like like all about the town, right? It, earlier in, in this section of scripture, he had taught in the synagogue. Uh, we talked about this last week, where he healed the demon possessed man, right? He he uh, cast the demon out of the man, and then he goes straight from there to Peter's house, and he heals Peter's mother in law. Um, from an illness, and from there, that's where we pick up in chapter 1, verse 32. It says this. It says, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he, held, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and, and, and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to, to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. 
So here we have Jesus is in Capernaum. Jesus is in Capernaum, and while Jesus was raised in Nazareth, just to give you a little bit of context, right? Jesus was raised in Nazareth, but he, um, but during his ministry, he lived in Capernaum. So if you were to go to Capernaum today, there's actually a sign outside of the village that says uh, Capernaum, the hometown of Jesus. This is where most of uh, most of the uh, healing miracles of that we see of, of Jesus in the Gospels took place in the minute in the village of Capernaum. Here in Mark one. We see something that is going to be a big deal in Jesus' ministry, right? People were constantly clamoring for Jesus, right? We see this very early on, right? What does it say is that the people were, uh, the the whole city was gathered at the door. Mark chapter 1 verse 28 speaks of after Jesus healed the demon-possessed man, that all the, the people were amazed, right? It says this, and at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all of the surrounding region of Galilee. All of these people. See, here's something that Capernaum was a pretty large city in this area, and it was believed, historians believe, the scholars believe, that there was about 300 or so people that lived in Capernaum. That was one of the larger cities or larger villages around the region of Galilee. But what do we know? That at one time Jesus fed 5,000 men who came out to hear him preach. Well, if there's only 300 that lived in one of the bigger villages, What does this mean? This means that there are thousands of people coming from all over the place to hear Jesus. Thousands of them flocking to hear Jesus. Jesus is in Peter's house, and it says the whole city has gathered at the door. Now, obviously, this is hyperbolic, but what we can see is that this this was a major issue. This was people gathering all over the place. And we see that Mark tells us that Jesus is healing people. All right, so this is sundown. This is later in the evening. So uh, to the Jew, once the sun goes down, the day is over. So the Sabbath is technically over. So he taught in the synagogues earlier that day. He comes, and now people are, he is just healing people left and right. People are wanting Jesus. They are wanting to be healed and to be seen by Jesus. We see something interesting here, right? It says that, that he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. It's interesting, right? Why would, it's one thing, okay, we can get, like, Jesus wouldn't allow demons to speak, you know. Because, like, what good does a demon have to say? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's a good thing. But it's, what's interesting is that it says that he would not permit the demons to speak because why did he not let the demons speak? Because they knew who he was. All the time when we see Jesus encounter demons in the Gospels, what do they do? They immediately cry out who he is. They immediately cry out who he is. And just as a side note, I find it interesting that he commands the demon-possessed people, he commands the demons to not confess who he is, but he commands us to tell everyone who he is. What I find is that most of us follow the commands that were given to the demons more than we do the commands that were given to Christians. A lot of us are more like the demons, right, who we don't say anything about who Jesus is than we are those who are his children. But we're going to just kind of, that's a, just a side note, right? But the question is, why wouldn't he let them do this? Why wouldn't he let them proclaim who he was? Ultimately, what we see, and we actually, we see this actually as a, it's a common theme throughout the gospel. Sorry, we see this a lot, right, where Jesus will heal people and he will tell them, don't say anything about what I just did. We see this when he raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. We see this where he heals uh, a man who has leprosy. We see this frequently. In fact, uh, this is also something that happens mainly with the Jews. 
Whenever we see, the only people really that we see Jesus say, hey, go tell everyone what I have done for you, is when he heals Gentiles, which is interesting. But here's the question, right? Why would Jesus do this? Why would Jesus want his identity and his miracles relatively under wraps at this point in his ministry? Well, if you fast forward to verse 45 of chapter 1, you'll see this. You see that Jesus heals this man with leprosy, tells him, don't say anything. And what does the man immediately do? Verse 45 says, but he went out and began to talk freely about it. And to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. So pretty early on in Jesus' ministry, what do we see is that now Jesus, uh, the crowds have hindered the ministry of Jesus. Now, it, it, in what we, now, I don't know if you've ever had this, but like there's times on Sunday mornings where I'll have to do something, right? I'll have to go, like, I'll be, let's say I'm over here or whatever, and I have to go to the other side of campus on a Sunday morning. And there are times where I seriously think about, okay, do I actually have to do this? Because I know if I walk over there, I'm going to get stopped at least a dozen times, right? Like, if I'm over here and I need to help Brock with something, uh, and I'm like, all right, I'll go to the office real quick, and then I'll be back, I will go, like, through the backwoods to get to the office because I know if I don't, it's going to take me half an hour to get there and come back. Right? Why? It's because, like, people, when pe- people just, like, everyone has questions and all these different things, and which is fine. I'm not saying anything bad about it. But, right, but what we see, though, is that, Je- that peop- the more that people viewed Jesus as just a miracle worker, the more they inhibited his ministry. Why? Because Jesus did not come to perform miracles. He didn't come to simply perform miracles. And then we ask this question, why would Jesus perform miracles at all? Right? If, the mir- if people are, like, flocking to Jesus because of the miracles, why would he even perform them? That's a wonderful question. We see two reasons. One, the miracles were the way that Jesus affirmed his authority to teach what he taught. We see this later in Mark chapter 2 when Jesus heals the, the paralyzed man. What is the first thing he says to him? He says, your sins are forgiven. And people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't say that, right? Only God can forgive sins. What does Jesus do? Well, to show you that I have the authority to forgive sins, how about this? Get up and walk. He gets up and walks. And you see this is a common theme all throughout the Bible, that the reason that prophets and Jesus and others would perform miracles was to affirm their message. You with me? We see this with Moses, right? Because Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, look, they're not going to believe me. What should I do? And Jesus says this. I, or sorry, God says to Moses, what? I will give you the ability to perform signs and wonders. Not just for the sake of parlor tricks, but to show that you are speaking what I have commanded you to speak. We see this also with Elijah. We see this with Elisha. We see this in the book of Acts with all of the apostles. That these gifts, that these miraculous signs were meant to affirm the message. But we also see another thing is this, this, is that Jesus had compassion on people in their brokenness. Right? When Jesus is teaching to the crowds and he feeds the 5,000, what does it say? It says that he saw them and that he had compassion on them because he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. Scripture shows us a Jesus that was touched and he was moved by the brokenness of people. And we see that Jesus was busy. He was busy. There was always somewhere for him to be. There was always somebody who was looking for Jesus. There was always somebody that needed a touch from Jesus. He was busy. And he was busy with good things, right? I mean, he's, he's 
performing miracles. He's casting demons out of people. He's showing people that he has the authority to forgive sins. He's doing all of these incredible things. He's doing these things also out of a love for the people. He's doing good things. He was busy out of a love for people and a love for what he, was, what he came to this earth to do. I mean, Jesus isn't busy with things that don't matter. No, I don't think anybody would say that Jesus is doing things that don't matter. I don't think any of us would say or be bold enough to say that Jesus is wasting his time. He's busy with good things. But we also see that these good things will continue to demand more and more out of him if he allows them to. And this is where it gets super, like, hard for me, right? Like, and this is something that I need you to understand, that this is not just a pastor or a ministry thing. This is a life thing. This is a life thing. Because even, even after Jesus goes off to pray on his own, which we'll get to in just a second, we see that when the disciples come to him in the morning, what do they say? They're like, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. I know you were up all night healing and doing miracles and all this stuff. And, you know, hey, hey, good morning. But, hey, everyone's looking for you. Because here's the thing, guys, is that if you allow people to, they will take as much as you give. They will take as much as you give. Understand this. Your job will take as much as you give. It will take as much as you give it. If you say, hey, I don't want to work on Sundays. And they're like, well, how about this? You just work this Sunday. And then we won't schedule you again. Do you really think that they're not going to schedule you again on a Sunday? Ha! Not true. I worked at Bob Evans. I've told this like a million times. And I told them, hey, like in restaurants, like especially a restaurant like Bob Evans, like Sundays were big things. And I would work on Sundays, but I told them I will come in after church. That's just my thing, right? And and uh, they're like, okay, you know, that was part of my interview. I told them, I will work whenever you want me to. I just won't work Sunday mornings. So this was, it was Mother's Day. And Mother's Day in the restaurant business, as you can imagine, is a big day. Big day. So I saw on the schedule, they didn't ask me. They just on the schedule, they had me scheduled Sunday morning. And I went to my manager. I was like, hey, I saw you had me on Sunday morning. Like, you know, I, I'm not going to do that, right? They're like, no, well, we need you. And I was like, well, I'm not going to be here, right? Like, I don't, I don't know what you want me to do. Like, I'm just, and they're like, no, we, like, we really need you. I was like, well, I, I guess I'll just, like, quit, right? You could either not have me for Sunday or you could just not have me ever again. What would you choose, right? And what we found is eventually they were like, all right, fine. They put somebody else. But here's what I want you to understand is that if you don't draw a line in the sand, This life will take from you as much as you are willing to give. As much as you are willing to give. Your job will take as much as you are willing to give. Your friends and your relationships will take as much as you are willing to give. And if you are not careful, the good things in your life, good things will drive out the most important things. They will drive out the most important things. And I fully believe that this is where many people find themselves today. That they want to be in church. They want to invest into discipling other people. They want to spend time growing in their own walk with God. They want to have a strong personal devotional life and prayer life. But they have filled their life with so many good things. That they have filled their life with so many good things that they can't do the main things that God has called them to do. And here's what I want you to know. Is that good things become bad things when they keep you from the best things. 
good things become bad things when they keep you from the best things. And here's the thing, guys. As a student pastor, my passion is to meet one-on-one with students. That's my passion. That's my heart. That is my desire. But you know what I've learned is as the student ministry grows, my ability to do that with every student that asks me is not, I can't do it. I can't do it. And it hurts me. And what I've learned, I was at Youth Pastor Summit last year, and one thing they talked about is as you are in ministry long enough, what you'll find is that you aren't able to do what you got into student ministry to do. Now, this doesn't mean that I won't, like, hey, like, I will find time. I will try. But here's what I want you guys to understand is that you have to be able to prioritize. See, even in Jesus' busyness, he made time for what mattered the most. He made time for the most important things. See in verse 35. This is what I want us to camp out in for just a second. Verse 35 says, In rising very early in the morning, while it, was, uh, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Please understand something, that the time you spend with God is more valuable than the things you do for God. The time you spend with God, one-on-one, is more valuable than the things you do for him. I don't care, honestly, I don't care how much you serve in church if you do not have a personal prayer life. I don't care if you, you know, get here super early to set up chairs if you don't read your Bible on your own. You cannot pour from an empty glass. Jesus understood that there was nothing more important than spending one-on-one time with his Father. Personal prayer and devotion with God are the most important things in your life. Please hear it. Please, 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 please. That the most important thing in your life is what you do with God when you're alone. That's the most important thing in your life. Do not measure your spiritual health based off what you do when you're surrounded by other Christians. It's easy to be a Christian in here. A good way to measure your, your, your spiritual health, your walk with God, is how much time do you spend with him alone? How much time do you spend with him alone? What does your personal devotional life look like with Jesus? Notice that Jesus did not pray because he was weak. We just talked about the fact that Jesus is God in the flesh. We talked about this last week, right? That he has all authority in heaven and on earth. We saw last week that Jesus has the authority and the power to cast out demons. He has the authority and the power to command the wind and the waves, right? That he is God in the flesh. Jesus did not pray because he was weak. Jesus prayed because he was strong. You see, pressure from others' expectations and pressure from the busyness of life should drive you to your knees in prayer, not away from prayer. If you are saying, I do not spend one-on-one time with prayer because I am too busy, then you don't understand prayer. If you were truly busy, it would drive you to prayer, not from prayer. See, that is where the Christian goes to be refueled. That is where the Christian goes to be strengthened. That is where the Christian goes when they have nothing left. If prayer is a burden to you, you do not understand what prayer is. If reading your Bible is a burden to you, you do not understand what reading your Bible is. 
Now, don't get me wrong. It is hard to get into the habit of it, right? I'm speaking from experience. But when you are busy, you're faced with the reality that you're weak. Right? When you're busy, you're faced with your limitations. See, Jesus was refreshed by intimate time with his father. And see, too many people are not refreshed by prayer. Too many people are, now we're refreshed by music. And what happens is, is we're refreshed by music that have Jesus lyrics. But what happens is we think that because I'm refreshed with Jesus music, that's the same as me being refreshed in prayer. I want you to understand that's not the same. Now, don't get me wrong. I think you can absolutely worship the Lord in your car. There are times where, like, I'm having a Holy Ghost party in the driver's seat, okay? I get it. But please understand that, like, there has to be a time. Please, please, please. Like, there has to be a time in your life where you get away and you are on your knees in prayer. Has to be. See, there's two ways, of you, there's two ways that you can pray. Right, and I've shared, I've shared this with some people. There's boots on and there's boots off, right? See, like, when I, whenever you put your boots on, right, for people who have work boots, does anybody in here have, like, work boots? Okay. When you put your work boots on, what, what yeah, you live in, in, you know, in the boondocks, right? Like, when you put your work boots on, what does that mean you're about to do? Go work outside. You're about to do something, okay? When you put, there's, there's, you can have, pr- there's boots on prayer, which means, okay, I'm about to do some Jesus work right now, right? Like, I'm about to pray, and I'm probably going to be praying for a long time. Okay, like, I'm going into my prayer, and I have a list. I'm praying for this, 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 right? And that's awesome. But then there's also boots off prayer. Boots off prayer, when you take your boots off, what is that? You're relaxing. You're enjoying it, right? Boots off prayer for me is when I'm driving in the car. I turn the radio off. I'm just talking to the Lord, right? Boots on prayer for me is when I have a student that tells me that one of their best friends committed suicide this weekend. And I need to pray for them, which is true. Boots on prayer is when I have to preach a sermon on Sunday. And I'm wrestling with this passage, and for the life of me, I can't figure out what I'm supposed to say. And here's what I want you to know. Your whole Christian life cannot be always boots on, and it cannot be always boots off. You have to have a healthy balance of boots on prayer and boots off prayer. Same thing with reading your Bible. When I'm doing boots on reading my Bible, we're about to get into it. I'm pulling out. I'm pulling out commentaries. I'm pulling out, you know, uh, con- uh, language concordances. I'm like, I'm getting into this. I may get five verses in. Boots off reading your Bible, man. I just want to read it just because I want to be. I just want to be encouraged today, right? Here's the thing. You will not survive with only boots on reading your Bible, and you will definitely not survive with only boots off reading your Bible. Does this make sense? I'm trying to get practical with you. See, this time that we see is what we, we need to understand that, man, this, this idea of prayer and spending one-on-one devotional time with God is the most important thing about you. 
Jesus' disciples were with him for three years. Almost every day for three years. During that time, they watched him raise the dead. They watched him walk on water. They watched him calm the weather with just his words. They watched him turn water into wine. They watched him heal the blind man. They watched him uh, give... uh, give sight to the blind. They watched him uh, heal leprosy. They watched him raise a man, uh, basically like heal the sick and, and the man who was paralyzed, tell him to get up and walk. The homeboy gets up doing the Irish jig and skipping, right? Like they watched him do all these amazing things. And you know what? The one thing they asked him, teach us how to do this. It was pray. They said, Lord, teach us how to pray. They didn't say, teach me how to cast out demons. They didn't say, teach us how to walk on water. They said, teach us how to pray. Clearly, there was something in Jesus' prayer life that when they saw it, they're like, man, there's just something different here. There's just something different here. See, prayer is not strictly about asking God for things. And prayer is also not strictly just hearing from God either. It's fellowship and it is intimacy with God. I think part of the reason that people are not refreshed and satisfied in their prayer life is because they don't understand the purpose of it. It's the same thing with worship. Let me, so let me explain. A lot of people think that worship is something that God has given to people for their fulfillment. So what happens? Well, I find music that I like, and I measure whether worship in church was good or not based off whether I was fulfilled or refreshed by it. Why? Because that's what it is there for, which is not the case. Worship was given to man to honor God. So whether you're fulfilled or not doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you like the song or not, if the lyrics are honoring to God, hey, guess what, Home Slice? You get the opportunity to worship and honor God and then be pleased with you in that. And you know what? That is fulfilling. But I will tell you, there are times where I worship simply out of obedience. Because I've had a crappy day. But you know what? I'm going to be obedient to do what God's called me to do. Prayer, a lot of people look at prayer. In the opposite way. They say prayer is something that God has given to man that we show him our uh, devotion to him or we do this or whatever. And that and how do you know this? Because oftentimes whenever you ask someone to pray, what do they say? I don't know how. What do you mean you don't know how? I mean, I don't know. Well, look, prayer is not about a formula. Prayer is a gift that God has given to people as a way to be refreshed and to spend one-on-one time with him. Worship is about God. Let's not get it twisted. Prayer is a gift that God has given to you and to me. And when you think that prayer is something you do for God, you'll never be refreshed by it. And if you think worship is something that you do for you, then you'll also never be refreshed by it. Prayer is a gift that God has given us. Prayer is not strictly about asking God for things. It's about intimacy and fellowship with God. Prayer is God's gift to man. We get to pray. We get to pray. I have the opportunity right now to go before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one that created the heavens and the earth, the one who formed me in my mother's womb, the one that knows how many days I have on this earth, the one that knows how many hairs are on my head, how many freckles are on my skin. He knows me more than anyone else knows me, and I get the opportunity to speak to him. And you're like, Mike, what do you get to speak with him about? Whatever I want. Isn't that amazing? Whatever I want. 
And when I'm hurt and I'm broken, I don't have to go to God acting like I have it all figured out. Why? Because he knows I don't. So I just go to him and I'm just like, right? When, I, when I'm hurt and I'm struggling and I'm suffering, I don't have to go to God and say, God, well, uh, uh, no, I say, God, this sucks. And I know I maybe should be more reverent and I probably should be more, you know, you know, I don't know, more respectful, but God, this is just where I'm at. And God, where I'm being irreverent, I'm sorry, please, Father, forgive me, but this is just how I feel. Man, that's a privilege. And if you see that as a burden, sorry, you're tripping. I don't know what to tell you. This is a gift that we have. This is a blessing Man, because God has gifted man with the ability to pray and speak with him, to have access to God through prayer. How do we have this access? Because of the gospel, because of Jesus, we should understand that this is something that should never be a burden. If prayer is a burden, it's because you're doing it wrong. Jesus prioritized prayer. He never allowed good things to get in the way of prayer. So how did he prioritize his prayer life? We see two things here. One, he woke up early. So simple, right? He woke up early. Jesus made time to pray. Because people demanded so much of Jesus, Jesus knew that if he did not make time to pray, people would fill that time for him. And I want you to know something, guys, that nobody is going to make time for your personal devotion with God. Your friends are not going to make time for your walk with God for you. Your job sure is not going to do it. Here's the thing. Your church isn't going to do it. You heard that saying, right, that like in church 20% of the people do 80% of the work? You ever heard that? Like I served in kids ministry for a season while I was interning here, and I served in Awana. Now, Awana is wonderful, okay? I'm not saying anything bad about Awana. This is also before Mary was there, okay? So I'm sure Mary has a wonderful organization that she runs, right? But, like, I was serving, and I was flipping exhausted doing kids' ministry because that's just not my gift. One, that's just not my gift, okay? I'm go- I feel like I'm good at a lot of things. That's not one of them, okay? But, two, like, I was doing so much, and I was just like, yo. And I, was try- and I felt like trying to get out of serving in kids' ministry was like trying to get out of Alcatraz, right? Like I just, I just couldn't do it. I tried so hard, right? And here's the thing. A lot of, here, your church will not make personal time for your devotion with God. You have to do it. You have to do it. Jesus woke up early. So you have to be willing to set the time aside. Don't give Jesus the time that's left over with your day because that's how you end up not doing it. Because what you'll find is that there is no leftover time in your day. There's no leftover time in my day. Because here's another thing. Man, like I'm just, this is, I'm passionate about this because this is my life, okay? And after getting married, I had to really get honest with myself about this. And after having a kid, I had to get even more honest. When I get home, you know what the first thing I do when I get home? And I'm not saying this as an example because, look, I have a lot of areas that I need to get better in this, okay? First thing I do when I get home is I pick my daughter up. Now, she's eight months old. She knows who I am. But, like, 
know, when she's 15, she's not going to remember if I came home and picked her up every day. But here's what kills me inside. Is there are times on Tuesdays where I will leave the house before she wakes up. I will come home after she has gone to bed. I won't see her until Wednesday. So she will see her dad Monday night, and she'll see her dad Wednesday morning. That's not acceptable to me. I will make that time for her because I love my daughter, right? I will make that time. If you text me at 6 o'clock in the afternoon, I will not answer you. I love you, okay? Now, if you call me, I will answer because if you call me, especially teenagers calling, there's got to be something drastically wrong, right? If you call me and you're like, hey, like, my leg fell off, I'll be like, yo, I'll be there in just a second, right? Like, I'm there, okay, I get it. But here's what I'm trying to tell you, is that I will make time for the things that matter. Jesus made time for the things that mattered. You currently are making time for the things that matter. It's just what matters to you. What matters to you? You are not making time for your walk with God, not because you're too busy. You're not making time with your walk with God because it doesn't matter to you. Just be honest with yourself. For me, that's what it is. There's times where it's just, man, there's so many other things that matter more. Be real. Be honest. Jesus woke up early. He made time. Don't give Jesus the time that's left over with your day because you'll quickly realize that you're really good at filling your time with other things that just don't matter. If you don't make time for Jesus, you will make time for something else. Jesus valued his personal time with, God, with the Father more than he valued sleep. Yo, this hits me hard, right? I love sleep. It's my favorite thing to do, and I'm really good at it, right? I have narcolepsy. You should see me sleep. I'm a professional. Right? I'm so good. There goes my daughter crying. <laughs> I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says this, Look no man in the face till thou hast seen the face of God. Speak thou with no one until, until you have spoken with the Most High. One of the best things that you can do is to spend the first thing in your morning with God. Real talk. Now, that's hard for me. Okay, I'm going to be real. But you'll see that when you do it, man, it's just, it's just, your whole day is different. Remember that Jesus had a busy night the night before, didn't he? And I'm going long right now, but I do not care. I'm sorry, I do not care. This is important. Jesus had a busy night the night before, right? He was healing people all night, casting out demons. I've never seen a demon cast out of somebody. I've heard stories from people that I know. I know that's a pretty traumatic event. And Jesus is not casting out one demon. He spent the whole night being like, yo, you're not sick anymore. Demon, gone. You're the Hey, bop, bop, bop. And it's like, yo, that's a long night. But he didn't make an excuse. He got up early and he did it. Keep this in mind. Your morning habits are based on evening decisions. You want to know why it's hard for me to wake up early in the morning? Because I love staying up late. I get home, I'm, I'm with my daughter, my daughter goes to bed, I spend time with my wife, and you know what? Sometimes Michael wants some Michael time. Sometimes I just want to turn the Xbox on and just veg out for a little bit. You know what I'm saying? But here's the thing, guys. Your morning habits 
are based on your evening decisions. If you want to prioritize Sunday morning church, then you will need to make good decisions on Saturday night. Sunday morning worship is a Saturday night decision. So when I see somebody tell me that I couldn't make it to church on Sunday, but I saw them late on Saturday night on their Instagram story, I'd be like, no, you could have, you just chose not to. If you want to wake up early tomorrow morning, spend the time in, to spend your time in your word, decide tonight that you'll make that time. Maybe that means you leave Chick-fil-A a little bit earlier. So we see that he woke up early, and the second thing that we see is that he got alone. Mark tells us that Jesus went to a desolate place. He went where there were no people, a place free from distractions. Listen to me. That on, listen, listen to this statistic. On average, see, the Americans check their phones 344 times per day. That is crazy. That is an average of, four to- that is an average of once every four minutes. The average American, that's the average American. I would say teenagers are not average Americans, right? I'm not hating on you. I use my phone way more than I should, okay? My screen time is more than I would like it to be. I'll be real. My screen time is more than my Bible time, and that's convicting to me. Now, I'm not as crazy as some of you lunatics, okay? But it is what it is. 71% of Americans check their phones within the first 10 minutes of waking up. Now, I get it, right? I use my phone a lot. But here's what I know. My phone is my biggest distraction to my prayer life, for me. I have an Apple Watch. I love this thing. But you know what's bad about it? Every little alert. Even the alerts I don't care about, right? Like... I have, I have Snapchat. I don't even use it. I don't even use it. I don't know why I still have it. But I get these alerts from like, like, hey, this person wants to be your friend. I don't even know who they are. Most of the time they're bots and it's annoying. And it's like, okay, like leave me alone. Right? Why? Because now, I've ta- now it's not enough I can just put my phone over here. Now it's everywhere. It's on me all the time. So my biggest distraction to my, to my prayer life is my phone and my watch. So when I need to have time in prayer, you know what I literally have to do? I have to take my watch off. I have to take my phone out of my pocket. I have to place it somewhere where if it vibrates, I won't hear it. So I can't put it on a table because I hear the and it drives me crazy. I have to put it on like a rug somewhere or whatever. I literally, I look ridiculous, okay? But here's the thing, is that I have to, like Jesus, I have to go to a desolate place. Some of us, the reason we do not pray is because we are so distracted. We're so distracted. For me, it's my phone. For you, maybe it's, I don't know, you're hanging out with people all the time. For you, maybe it's, you know, your job or TV or whatever it is. Man, Jesus got alone, and you and I, we need to get alone. When Jesus says when you pray, what do you do? Go into your closet, lock the door, right? Remove distractions. See, when you pray, you need to get alone. Take that time serious. And the last thing we see, we saw Jesus' business, Jesus' priorities. This is super short. But when, G- when Simon, it says the Simon and those who were with him, this is also an indication that um, the source of Mark's gospel was Peter. Because it, doesn't, it just says Peter and his friends, okay, which we know are the disciples. 
But ultimately, this is an indication that this is also, this was, that it was written by Mark, but it was, but Mark wrote what Peter was telling him. So, like, Peter was basically like, yo, me and the boys, we went. And Mark was like, Peter and the boys. You know, you know, right? So this is basically what happened. They go and they find Jesus. They're looking for Jesus. It's interesting that they're looking for Jesus, and they knew where to find him. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus went alone to pray, and when they woke up and they didn't see Jesus, they knew where Jesus was. How awesome would that be if people can know that about you? I'll tell on Brock. There was a season of Brock's life. It's a good thing, so don't worry. Right? There's a season of Brock's life where Brock would get home late. And you know what? But well, Brock would get home, but he would come inside late. And you know what you knew Brock was doing? Is Brock was in his truck reading his Bible. And if I knew if we knew Brock hadn't come home and we look on the Find My Friends app, we see he's in the driveway, right? Oh, well, I know what he's doing. He's in his truck, listening to worship music, reading his Bible. And he would do it every day. Yo, I wish I could say that about me. I wish that Kayla could wake up in the morning, see that I'm not there, and be like, oh, Michael's reading his Bible somewhere. Man, that would be amazing. But they find Jesus, and what do they do? They say, hey, people are looking for you. Let's go. We got more good things to do, Jesus, more miracles to perform. And what does Jesus say? Nah, we, I have other things to do. Let's go to these other towns and preach there also because that is why I came. Jesus said, I did not come to perform miracles. As much as they're good and as much as it's awesome, I came to preach the gospel. I pre- came to preach the good news. I didn't come to do this. I didn't come to do that. I came to preach the good news of the gospel. And here's the thing is that Jesus goes and Jesus has his priorities in check. And Jesus has his priorities in check because he has the first thing first, which is he spends time with his father. And because he has time, spends time with his father, he is able to discern between what is good and what is best. Please hear me, that your life is going to be not so much about choosing between what is good and what is bad. It's most of the time choosing between what is good and what is best. What is good and what is best. And so many of us don't know what the difference between what's good and what's best because we don't spend time in God's word one-on-one with just us and the Father. But I promise you, you spend time one-on-one with you and the Lord, you will be able to have a better ability to discern between what is good and what is best. Jesus says, I will go. I'm going to go and preach the gospel. The last thing I want you to see is that what does Jesus do? This means that Jesus left hundreds of people disappointed because he had to do what he had to do. Understand something, that when it comes to saying no to busyness and yes to the things of God, you are going to leave people disappointed. This is why you cannot be a people pleaser and a God pleaser at the same time. Public enemy number one, I hate disappointing people. I do. Corbin posted a funny meme. It's probably been in the back of some of your mind as I've been talking. He posted a funny meme this week. It's like what Mike is doing when he's not answering our texts. I thought it was funny. I wasn't offended. Don't worry. Right? What Mike's doing when he's not answering our texts. And it was like some dude like going all over the place. And it was like, it was funny. I thought it was pretty good. Right? But here's the thing. Is that like, now obviously like, it's Jesus, my, my wife, my daughter, family, and you, okay? Like, like, so I want you to, like, hey, you're like, wow, really? Uh, but, hey, that's a big deal. That's a big deal, okay? Understand something, right? Like, I 
I love you guys. I love you guys. Not as much as you thought. Hey, if you thought that you were on the same level as my daughter, uh, that's a you problem. Okay, that's a you problem. All right, here's the thing, right? It's like, I love you guys. I will give, I would, I would take a bullet for any of you, and I say that with honesty, okay? I would do anything for you. You know, I want you to understand that it kills me that I know that I disappoint some of you at times. I'm aware of it. I'm aware of every text I don't answer, right? I'm aware of every time someone says, hey, can we meet up this week? And I say, I can't. But you know what? One, know that I really do try, but I am a people pleaser at heart. I can't help it. I'm trying, not, I'm trying to get better, okay? But I just, I can't help myself. But what we see is this, is that ultimately, when it comes to deciding between good things and best things, when you choose the best things, oftentimes you will disappoint people. You will. Sometimes it means disappointing your family for some of you. For some of you, maybe it means disappointing your sports team. For some of you, maybe it means disappointing your friends. For some of you, maybe it means disappointing me. Look, I'm not Jesus, okay? Maybe I'm asking you, hey, can you get here early and help set up chairs? And you say, no, I can't. I have to do this. You know what? Hey, if that's the best thing for you, I'll get over it. I'll find somebody else to do it, right? But you have to be willing to please God at the expense of pleasing people. You have to. It's hard. It's hard for me. But here's the thing. Why is it, how is it that I can get the strength to do that? Okay, this is great. This is awesome. Thank you so much, Mike. This is wonderful. Thank you. But here's the thing. How do I, how, how exactly do I get the strength to do that? Is when you understand how Christ prioritized you. One of the most powerful verses in the Bible is when it says that Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. Basically towards the end of his life, it was that final trip that he made to Jerusalem, knowing what awaited him when he got there. Knowing that when he got there, he was going to be arrested, he was going to be crucified. And the wrath of God for all of our sins was going to be placed on him. But it says that he set his face and he went. Jesus prioritized you over comfort, over everything, so that we could prioritize him.